Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 71. And today I'd like to talk about tired and difficult days, as well as the definition of unschooling, which might lead me on to a little bit about chores. And I'd also like to go back and revisit my podcast of last week, the one where I talked with my 15-year-old daughter, Sophie. I just got a little bit more I want to say on that topic. We were talking about trust, respect, and loving unconditionally. Now, I have to admit that I'm feeling very tired today, so I'm hoping that this podcast will be okay, that I'll be able to get my thoughts together and make something which is worth listening to. So I hope that you'll be patient and I hope that you will continue listening and we'll just see where it goes. I could, of course, delay recording this podcast to another day, but already it is Monday, the day that I normally publish my podcast, and I don't want to get too far behind, and maybe the topic of tired days is relevant to a lot of people. Maybe you have them as well, and maybe you can understand how I'm feeling today. Maybe you also have to plow on some days when you don't feel like it. So why am I feeling tired today? Well, last night, well, it was actually the early hours of the morning, about 1.30, the phone rang. I got up to answer it, but by the time I got to the phone, it had stopped ringing. But there was a message on the answering machine. I checked it and discovered that the phone call wasn't actually for us. So I went back to bed. And then, about 20 minutes later, the phone rang again. Same person. Obviously wanted to get hold of somebody, but it wasn't us. Left another message on the answering machine. Then I began to wonder if this would go on all night until the person on the other end got hold of who they wanted to speak to. So I woke my husband Andy up and told him about the phone calls and asked him what I should do. He ended up ringing the person that was bringing us to explain that they had the wrong number. And then we all went back to bed. And as my husband was drifting off to sleep, he said to me, Well, I suppose that's the end of your night. You probably won't get any more sleep tonight, will you? showing a bit of empathy, I think, because I have a lot of difficulty drifting off to sleep. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm usually awake for hours. And that's exactly what happened. It was almost time to get up again by the time I went back to sleep. Of course, Andy didn't have any trouble going back to sleep. Even though he was trying to stay awake and show a bit of empathy for me, he couldn't keep his eyes open. The phone call didn't seem to bother him too much. He was soon fast asleep. I rather envy that ability of his to sleep through anything, to go back to sleep after being woken up. He doesn't seem to have any problem at all with sleep. So I got up this morning and I was tired. My husband has sent a text message to my children explaining that I was tired. Could they look after me today? But he didn't need really to do that because when I went out to the kitchen this morning, the girls asked me how I was and I said I'm a bit tired today and explained about the phone call. And they said, oh, look, Mum, we'll look after you today. You don't have to do anything. And then Imogen said, is there anything you really have to do today, Mum? And I said, I'd like to make my podcast. And she said, well, you do that first thing this morning, and then the rest of the day, you relax. 
So I'm really fortunate. I have children who rally round when I'm feeling tired, when I'm having a difficult day. They turn difficult days into rather easy days because nothing much is expected of me. That's one of the benefits of having older children. But I wonder, what do you do when you're tired? Do you have older children as well? Or perhaps you don't, and you find tired days are very difficult. Do you plough on regardless? Or do you take steps to look after yourself as best you can? I think as mothers, we find it very difficult to take time out for ourselves. We keep a lot of expectations upon ourselves. Maybe we're a little bit proud as well. We want to look like we are coping. We're doing a fantastic job with our children. I can remember this from when I had little ones. I used to worry that people would knock on the door unexpectedly and that they would see that my house was a mess from one end to the other. And so I always wanted to keep it neat and tidy. I always wanted my children to look good. I wanted people to think that I was a good mother. And so, even when I was tired, I ploughed on and did all those things that I really shouldn't have done. I got myself overtired, got myself frustrated. I used to get bad-tempered, and we'd end up having a really horrible day. And the sad thing was that usually nobody knocked on the door. So I did it all just in case. But what if somebody had knocked on the door? They probably would have come in, realized that I was having a difficult time, and they would have excused me because most of my friends have been in the situation or were in the situation that I was in. Maybe they would have volunteered to make me a cup of tea, sit me down. They might have hung a load of washing on the line for me. Things that friends do for each other. And even if they hadn't helped with the housework, I'm sure that we could have sat down with a cup of tea and just had a nice relaxing chat, which would have made me feel better. Sometimes it's easier to have a difficult day when we are distracted by the company of a friend who understands. So all that worry about having to have my house clean was all rather ridiculous. I made myself extra tired by trying to keep up really high standards which weren't necessary. Maybe on difficult days we also worry about our kids, about them getting behind. You know, getting behind on what we would like them to do, what we were planning to do with them. We feel that we ought to keep on being actively involved in their learning, even though we are feeling very exhausted and not up to the job. Maybe on tired days we should recognise that learning might look a little bit different from normal, but that's quite okay. Kids are going to learn regardless of what we're doing with them. For example, I feel too tired today to go on any outings. I probably won't even go for a walk with Sophie and Nora. We won't have our usual discussion as we're walking along the bush tracks. I probably won't read aloud to Gemma Rose. We won't read another chapter or two of the book that we're enjoying together. I don't know if I've even got the patience and the energy to sit and listen to her read to me. She's reading me Sense and Sensibility, and we're both enjoying it very much. But I don't feel up to listening today. I probably won't say such things today as, Hey girls, look what I've found. Would you like to watch this or listen to that? Shall we talk about this? Or shall we play this game? Or whatever. 
No, I won't be doing any strewing like that today. I might not help anybody with their projects, but I'm sure everybody will have a good learning day regardless. Unschooling children are used to going off and learning by themselves. They do enjoy parents being actively involved, and I think that's essential in the long term. But the odd day here and there where a parent isn't even around, I don't think it's going to matter at all. So what are my girls doing at the moment? At the moment, Gemma Rose is talking about writing with her older sister, Imogen. Sophie has just done some exercise. She got a new Fitness Blender workout program for her birthday, and she was really eager to start it. So today, being Monday, she decided that she would start a new eight-week program. So we've just had morning tea together. It's about half past ten in the morning. And instead of having morning tea, she decided that she would go off and do her exercise for the day. Now she's having a cup of tea. And I think she's looking at a video that she took of Imogen singing yesterday at a concert. Yes, Imogen and my husband Andy sang in a classical music concert yesterday afternoon. And Sophie and I went along to watch. And Sophie took along the camera and recorded Imogen singing. There was a part there where Imogen had a solo piece to sing. Well, actually, she was singing a duet with her music teacher. And I guess right at this moment, she's having a look at that video, and she's going to edit it so that Imogen can upload it to her YouTube channel. I don't know what the girls have got planned for later on, but they'll keep busy. They'll do lots of great stuff. Even if I spend all day lying on the bed, they'll be fine. But of course, my children are older. But I think even with younger children, even if they have days where they just play and we just observe, I used to lie on the sofa while my children were playing at the, the odd comment here or there, and they would be quite happy and they would be doing a lot of learning in that way. I'm sure my girls will be reading books later. Maybe they'll turn on a documentary or a movie. Maybe they'll listen to some music. There's lots of ways the children can learn without a mother's involvement. I remember one day when I think my fourth child was a baby. It was in the early days after he'd been born and I was exhausted. I can remember one particular day. And my husband came home in the evening and there were toys strewn from one end of the house to another. There was no dinner made. I just was lying on the sofa, just praying my husband would come home early because I'd had enough. I couldn't cope any longer. And Andy walks through the front door, and the first thing he said was, What happened here today? Which I think was the wrong thing to have said, because then I got very defensive and said, Well, what do you think I normally do each day? Today I didn't do all those things that I normally do because I am too tired. I started feeling very sorry for myself, and I didn't want to accept the help that my husband then wanted to give me. We got off on the wrong foot about the whole situation, so I think sometimes it can be good to talk about these things, ask for help, not be too proud to say, I'm not coping today, can you help me? Because usually the people that love us do want to help us, but they need to know what sort of help we need, and specific help, I think, with husbands. There is no doubt that some days we do have to plough on with no help whatsoever. 
especially when our children are young. We have to make big sacrifices. Maybe our survival depends on our attitude. We have to be willing to give to our children, to recognise that they're the most important thing in our lives and that we're willing to do whatever it takes to give to them, to love them, even if it does mean that we are feeling overtired and we're not getting anything done for ourselves and our house is a mess and we're not in control of a lot of things that we'd like to be in control of. And I have found that all the sacrifices that I have ever made for my children have all been worth it. And it doesn't last forever because by making those sacrifices, by giving of myself to my children, my children have learnt to give back to be loving in their own turn, to notice when other people need help, to become caring, loving and self-giving people. So our, our example is noticed by our children. They grow up surrounded by it. They breathe in that atmosphere of self-giving. And the way we give to other people is very important. We can give to other people in a grudging manner or we can do it cheerfully. And when we do it cheerfully, our children do notice. So I'm tired today, but I have children who are going to look after me. They're going to give back all that I give to them. And I think all unschooling children are like this. It's a consequence of being unschooled. Unschooling does result in children who are compassionate, caring and loving. about how unschooling involves a lot of love, especially the unconditional kind. And this takes me on to the second thing that I want to talk about, the definition of unschooling. I don't think that I have ever written a definition of unschooling on my blog. I've talked about it in lots of ways, I've illustrated it, but I don't think that there's one paragraph on my blog that says this is what unschooling is. And I think that is because unschooling is hard to define. If you go looking for definitions of unschooling on the internet, you'll find a lot of definitions, all slightly different, from different people. A few of the ones I've come across are, unschooling is child-led learning. I think that's a very common one. But then, child-led learning doesn't mention a parent's involvement. It might sound like we just let our children loose. Off they go, they learn, and we have nothing to do with it. Other people say it's delight-led learning. Children follow their own interests. But this makes it sound like children only ever learn about things that they are particularly interested in, their passions. And that's not true at all. Children learn about all sorts of things. They have the freedom to learn what they want, but they will choose to learn things that are difficult, things they're not particularly interested in for particular reasons, if they have a need for it. So I don't think delight-directed learning explains unschooling particularly well either. And then there's natural learning. Children learn from everything that happens, from everything around them, everything in their world. It just happens naturally. And though I think there's a lot of good points about this one, I wonder if people will think that parents shouldn't enrich their child's environment. 
They should just let their children loose in their natural environment. And so parents can't get involved by offering other things, enlarging their natural world, bringing the bigger world to them, tempting them with things which aren't naturally in their world. Another similar one is learning from life. If life is full and interesting, of course our children will learn a lot from their lives. But if our children's lives are pretty narrow, they're not going to learn so much. And I think again, with unschooling, parents need to expand, need to enrich their children's lives. Offer them learning experiences that they might not get just from their everyday lives. Though of course, sometimes life is very, very interesting or very, very difficult or life goes up and down, it changes a lot. And there are some times in our lives where we don't need to strew because everything that is happening around our children is a big learning experience. But there are times when life does get a bit dull, a bit mundane, a bit everyday. And those are the sort of times when parents can get more involved and offer other learning experiences. I like the next definition that unschooling is a process where children become the people they are meant to be. The parents can encourage their children to become the people they are meant to be. But it doesn't say how we can encourage our children. How are children meant to become the people they are meant to be? Well, each child has their talents. Should we encourage our children to use these talents, to follow their interests and their passions? Should we also encourage them to be virtuous people? And then there's another one. Children will learn what they need to know when they are ready and want to learn it. I quote this one all the time because I have found through experience that this is true. There's a problem with some of these definitions, I think. Some people might think that children are allowed to do exactly what they want to do. They just have to follow their interests and that's all there is to it. Parents sit to one side, just let their children get on with it, do what they like. It's all very child-centered, without much involvement from a parent. It's irresponsible. And I think this is why a lot of people think that unschooling is a very negative thing. It suffers from a bad image. If we talk about radical unschooling, I think that suffers even more from a negative image. It's all very well giving our children the choice and what they want to learn. But should we extend that freedom to all aspects of their lives? Should we allow our children to eat when they want to eat and eat what they want to eat? Sleep when they want to sleep? Yeah, have a late, late bedtime if they're not tired. What about such things as what they wear and how they have their hair, their external appearance? There's a lot of other things. You hear a lot of criticisms of radical unschoolers. They don't care if their children don't brush their teeth, for example, or if they exist on a diet of Coke and fast food. I'm sure all these stories aren't true, but they're things we hear, things we read on the internet. And so maybe people don't want to radically unschool their children. It sounds like a very self-centered life for, the, for kids. They can just do what they like. It doesn't matter about those around them. So I think a definition of radical unschooling and even unschooling needs a little bit more. There's more to it than what I've already spoken about. Yes, our children have the freedom to choose. 
but often they choose to do things which aren't necessarily of benefit to themselves. They don't always do what they want to do. They freely choose to do difficult things, to do things that benefit other people. For example, my children today are choosing to be helpful, to be considerate, to be very loving towards me, to do all my chores, to keep the house going, to help each other. They're not all in doing individual things. They're not leaving everything up to me. Why would they want to do this? As I said earlier, I think it's all to do with us loving them unconditionally. So an essential ingredient of unschooling is unconditional love. We give our children freedom, but they learn to use that freedom in a responsible way. They learn that from our own example and from being loved unconditionally. We have to give our children that freedom and we have to trust that they will use that freedom in the right way, that they will learn what is right and what is wrong and be willing to be considerate and that they will become the people they are meant to be, compassionate, caring, loving, self-giving people. Looking at my notes here, I've got chores written down next. I was on the internet the other day, and I came across something about chores and radical unschooling. I've come across various different things. Different unschoolers have different opinions about chores and how to handle them. I guess these different opinions and different ways of doing things don't really matter if they suit a particular family, as long as everybody is happy. But it did get me thinking. One person said that chores should belong to the person that is concerned about them. If something is upsetting you, if there are dirty dishes and it worries you, you don't like the dishes piling up in the kitchen. You'd like the kitchen to be clean and tidy. Then the person who is concerned about that should actually go and wash those dishes. Somebody else said that chores is a matter of personality. Some people are more inclined to help. They don't mind standing at the sink and washing dishes. Other people, I suppose, might not even notice the dishes there. They'll be too engrossed in other things. Somebody else said that we shouldn't make a great deal of chores. We should be free from the usual constraints about them. We don't have to make a big deal of them. Dust will be there. Dishes will always be there. There's more important things in life than chores. So I've been mulling these ideas over and I'm thinking that if the dishes pile up in the kitchen and it bothers somebody, wouldn't it be lovely if somebody else came along and helped with those chores out of love? Not because they want to do the chores, but because they see that those dishes are bothering somebody that they love. They might not bother them themselves, but they can see they're upsetting their mother or their sister or whoever. So even though the chores might not bother them, they might be quite happy to live in an untidy home or to watch the dishes pile up. If they notice that it bothers somebody that they love, shouldn't they want to help to relieve that worry of the person that they love, to make things right for that person? And I do find that when something does bother me about the house, maybe I've suddenly noticed how dirty all the windows are, it bothers me and nobody else. So I'll get a cleaning cloth out and some spray and I'll start cleaning windows and somebody will come along and they will see me doing this 
and they'll say, hey, I'll help you do that, mum, because they can see that it's bothering me, even though they hadn't actually noticed before, because they don't want me working by myself. If I want clean windows, they'll help me get clean windows. It's a very loving attitude and not unique to my children. I wouldn't want to give you the impression that I have unusual children, just that these are the things that unschooling children learn. So I think that the general image of radical unschooling is wrong. The things that people believe about it, they haven't got it right, they don't understand. And when we try to define radical unschooling, we have to include somewhere the words about love, unconditional love. Because without that, if everybody just does what they want to do, sleeps when they want to sleep, eat when they want to eat, learn what they want to learn, without regard to other people around them, then everybody ends up living a self-centered life. And I don't really think that that's what radical unschooling is all about. You probably have gathered that I think that unschooling is a life where we trust and respect and love unconditionally. of trust, respect and unconditional love leads me back to last week's podcast, episode 70. I interviewed my 15-year-old daughter, Sophie. And if you haven't already listened to it, you might like to go back so that you will understand what I'm about to say. We were talking about how some parents talk very negatively about their children in general conversation. They say such things as, my daughter's so lazy or she has no self-discipline, or she's too shy, these types of things. And Sophie said she doesn't think that it's right for parents to talk in this way, to focus on the negative aspects of their children in public. She thinks that parents should be more positive, focus on the good things about their children, keep the negative things to themselves. That's a private matter. We can't talk about our children in any way that we like. We have no right to do that. And I said, I think that parents often talk about their children and their faults because they're worried. They want to chat it over with somebody. Maybe they're looking for some helpful advice. Maybe they're just letting off a bit of steam. And Sophie said, well, if she can hear parents talking about these things, then maybe the children themselves will hear about them. Even if they don't hear about them directly, somebody may tell them, I heard your mother talking about you. She said you're too shy. That type of thing. So it's not really justified to talk about the things that are worrying us in general conversation. Now, does this mean that we can never talk about our children with anybody else? This is one thing I've been thinking about since we recorded that podcast. And yes, it does help to chat about our children and the concerns we're having with somebody that we trust, with somebody whose opinion we value. It might be our spouse. It might be a close friend. It might be somebody else out there in the bigger world, a counsellor, somebody professional. So I think it is justified to talk about our children sometimes, but in the right way and to the right people. We have to choose that person that we're confiding in very carefully. And maybe we also have to say to them, this is private, please don't 
talk about it to anybody else. Because I think we've all done it. People have told us things about their children, and then we talk about them with other people. And before you know it, everybody knows that this particular child is having a problem with a particular issue. And that child then might hear about it. And how will they feel if they find out that they're the topic of conversation? Other people are talking about them. I always think it's a privilege when people confide in me, when they want to talk about certain things that are happening in their families' lives. And talking with Sophie made me realize that we really do have to take care with things that we hear in confidence. We've been entrusted with knowledge about somebody's family, somebody's children, and we really have to keep it to ourselves. So I just wanted to talk about that a little bit more in case people got the idea that we should never talk about our worries about our children. Sometimes when we talk to other people, we realize that our worries aren't worries at all. We get a different perspective on the whole situation. Other people are good at looking from the outside. Sometimes they can see all the positive things about our children that will get buried for us under all the negative things. And sometimes just chatting about it is all we need. We don't really need the problem solved because maybe there isn't a problem in the first place. a couple of other things that I would like to tell you about before I finish my podcast. One is my newsletter. I've almost got my second edition ready to email out. And if you haven't already subscribed to my newsletter, I hope you'll consider doing that. I was really fortunate this time to get the involvement of several other unschooling mothers. I asked them if they would share some articles with me for my newsletter. I've got a variety of things in the newsletter. I'm trying to vary the topic so that if one thing doesn't appeal to you, maybe something else will. And in in this edition, I've got a lot of things about attachment parenting and unconditional love, probably because I was talking about it with Sophie last week. I've also got a little bit about parents' passions, why it is important that parents follow their passions. I've got links to other people's YouTube channels and their blogs some links to interesting things I found on the internet, some resources, a whole lot of different things. So I hope that if you haven't subscribed, you will. And if you have subscribed, my newsletter will be landing in your email inbox very soon. I hope you enjoy it. There's just one more thing that I'd like to mention. It's an idea that I put into action last week. I've been thinking about periscopes for quite some time now. If you don't know what a periscope is, it's live streaming. People are able to watch and listen to somebody speaking live. There's an app for it um, for a smartphone. So what I could say is I'm going to do a periscope tomorrow at 2 p.m. If anybody would like to join me, please do. And then I would use an app on my smartphone to broadcast live myself talking about something or showing you something. I'm sure a lot of people do know what periscopes are all about, but I'm explaining because a couple of people on Facebook did stop by and say they'd never heard of periscopes before. There's only one thing, well, there's two things wrong with periscopes. One is that I would have to be in front of the camera. People would see me live, and that's a bit confronting. 
And the second thing is that I would need a smartphone if I was doing a periscope. A smartphone with an app and a good camera. And I don't have a smartphone. But the idea of a periscope has sat at the back of my mind for quite some time. And then last week I had this big idea. Perhaps I could make an It's Not a Periscope. I could pretend that I was talking live to people, get my daughter Sophie to film it on our camera, and then I could put it up on YouTube and everybody could come along and have a look at it and listen and watch. Usually periscopes are saved after they've been broadcast live and a lot of them get uploaded to YouTube so people can watch them after the event. So the only difference between periscopes which are uploaded to YouTube and videos that I might upload to YouTube is the fact that the periscopes were once live and people were able to interact with them. So I got brave the other day and I made my first It's Not a Periscope. I just pretended that people were watching. I had a bit of fun with it. I walked around our house and showed viewers where we live. Did a little bit of chatting along the way. And then I uploaded it to YouTube. So if you'd like to watch that, it's called It's Not a Periscope Introduction. Afterwards, I asked my girls to have a look at it and said, I said, yeah, what do you think? And one of them said, well, it's fine, Mum. It's really good. But I think, actually, you're vlogging, not periscoping. And I guess they're right. But it was a bit of fun pretending it was a periscope. It's been a long time since I've done any vlogging. I made a few vlogs, or oh, more than a year ago. But then somehow I ended up behind the camera interviewing my children. So this is a big step. I've got back in front of the camera again. It can be a bit scary doing that. What will people think of me if they can see me as well as hear me? Will they think I'm old? Will my appearance influence the way they think about me? I don't suppose it really matters. And I had a lot of fun making the video. And I'm hoping to make more It's Not a Periscopes. So I hope you'll come over to my YouTube channel, Sue Elvis, and yeah, watch that Periscope, and maybe you could subscribe and keep up with me as I'm doing my vlogging. I'd really love that if you could join me on YouTube. Well, I think I've come to the end of this podcast. It seems to have taken me a very long time to record it. I don't think my brain is going very fast today because I'm very tired. I keep making mistakes, having to have a pause while I look at my notes again. What did I want to say? Keep going down dead-end tracks and thinking, well, that was not exactly what I wanted to say, and having to start again. I don't know if any of what I've said today does make sense, but I guess it's the best I could do today, and I hope that you will understand even when mothers do not have little children anymore, they still have tired days. And it makes me remember what it was like when I had little children. It increases my compassion and my empathy for other people. So I guess being tired is a good thing. After all, we can always find something good in everything that happens to us. And today, I'm tired. But I'm sitting here thinking about all the mothers out there who are also having a tired day. I'm also grateful for my children who are looking after me. And for a husband who tried to have empathy with me in the middle of the night and did send a text message this morning to my children, making sure they knew 
but I am tired today and could they help me out? So I'm going to go now and have a listen to this podcast here if it is worth uploading to Podbean, do a bit of editing. Hopefully it will be online later on today. So you can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes or Podbean or keep up with it by following along with my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I'll probably have some show notes on my blog. Maybe not today. Maybe I'll do those tomorrow. So if you come back later on, there'll be links to things that I've spoken about today. Of course, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, a few other places as well. But those are the places that you'll probably find me more frequently. I'd like to thank people that have written reviews for this podcast on iTunes. I get a summary once a month of all the new reviews. And I actually forgot to print that off so that I could thank individual people today. But yes, there were a few new reviews in the last month. So I would like to thank all those people who wrote a few kind words about my podcast. I do appreciate them very much. So I hope you all have a good week. Hope you don't have too many tired and difficult days. I hope to be back next week with another episode, and I'm hoping they'll be a bit more lively. So until then, thank you once again for listening today. And trust, respect, and love.